Over the last seven years, I have tried every kind of marketing you can possibly imagine for my business. And I have determined over that time that direct mail has been by far the most profitable marketing channel I have ever tried. And I've spent over a million dollars just testing it out figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. And through that time, I've been able to generate over 100 deals per year in my business using direct mail. And now I've created a very small but very powerful mini course on how I utilize direct mail in my business. It explains everything I do from A to Z, and I've made this available to you absolutely free. That's right, no charge, no obligations, just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to find out how you can implement my system in your business and start generating more leads through direct mail. Go check it out. It's absolutely free. I can't wait for you to try it. I think my strength is that I'm really stubborn. I decided this is what I wanted to do and dang it, is what I worked on. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I'm glad you're here with me. I'm excited to be here with you. And I've got a great guest for you. This is someone that I've kind of like pre-vetted more than even other people because I was on his show a few weeks back and I got to know him a little bit and invited him to come on here and talk to you guys. His name is Tyler Lote and he is a passive real estate expert. His, his particular area of expertise is multifamily and storage. And uh, we had a great conversation today. He also, by the way, I was on his show. It's called The Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Great show. You should go check it out. But we had a conversation today about multifamily specifically. We got into storage a little bit, but uh, I really uh, drilled down on the uh, how do you get started? How do you find deals? Like How do you raise money from people when you're new and you don't have experience? What's the best way to get involved? Should you get you know go right toward the big multifamily, 150, 200 units or start smaller? Like I really dove into a lot of that stuff and I think it's going to be really, really great and valuable for a lot of you who are thinking about getting into multifamily and just don't know where to go. And then at the end, as a little bonus, he offers up a free video course exactly on that multifamily that you can go and grab and take advantage of. So great episode here for you guys. I'm excited for this one and I hope you enjoy it. And I give you Taylor Lote. All right, Taylor, man. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate your time. Yeah, Mike, thanks for having me so much. It's funny having a conversation with you before we started here about the things that we obsess over as podcasters and right. optimizing our, our audio and our studios. So uh, we're yeah. one and the same in that I, way. I do tend to find that that uh, folks that I've talked to in real estate that have a level of success, there is some aspect of obsession that they have. They get obsessed on things. And, uh, you know, I got into podcasting and yeah, I, there's, I, I, I never thought I would care so much about audio, but as I do now and know so much about it, but yeah, totally, man, we're uh, kindred spirits that way for sure. You, you, when you logged on here to, to have this conversation immediately, I noticed that you had good, clear, rich sound <laughs> microphones. So that, that makes me that warmed my heart immediately. And we just bonded over obsessing over uh, podcast audio. So yeah, absolutely. Totally. Um, 
But listen, let's let's not bore everyone with the audio talk. Nobody cares, right? They don't they don't care about audio. They care about real estate. So let's talk about that a little bit. And let's, uh, if we could, because I love just diving in. I know about you. You know about you. But unfortunately, the thousands of people listening to this do not necessarily know about you. So let's give them some background and, and let them know who they're listening to. And then we'll dive in and we'll show them why they need to be listening. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks once again for for having me today. For so. Sure. Uh, yeah, my name's Taylor Lote. I invest in commercial multifamily and self-storage properties. And you know, everybody likes to talk about how they got their start in real estate investing, why they made the switch, and and all of that. You know, for me, my investing experience pretty much begins when I graduated from college a little bit over a decade ago, and had a couple nickels to rub together for the first time in my life. I had a big boy job and. You know, had some money left over. What I was did you do? Kinda, what, what was your job? What, what did you go to school for? So my background's in engineering. I went to school for chemical engineering, and I was fortunate enough to get a job about eh, a month or so before I uh, graduated. Nice. Pay wasn't great, but it was enough. And uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty frugal guy naturally. I don't have really expensive tastes, and especially at that time, I was like, I realized the time value of money. I'm making all this right now. I should invest it and and grow it. Yeah. And uh, you know what I started with was Wall Street. I, the first book that I picked up, I still have it. It's on the other side of the room here. Was The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, who was Warren Buffett's mentor. It's all about value investing in the stock market. It's yeah. a very dense, kind of difficult to read book, but that got me started in the stock market. After doing that for a few years, I'd done well. It happened because of my age; just so happened to time the market pretty well, and. Uh, it's kind of hard to pick a loser at that point. Oh, definitely possible. <laughs> and um, it was it was moving forward, but I was realizing I was doing the math that this isn't going to produce financial freedom for me. Mm. It's accumulating, yeah, of course, but it's not paying me right now. And heck, it's not going to pay me for at the time, you know, maybe forty years till yeah. it accumulates enough, and I'm just going to have to sell it off. Something's not right about that. I want to change that up and went on my uh, exploration journey. How can I make more money? What what can I do? And my first answer was actually not real estate investing. My first answer was probably an answer that a lot of people with college degrees think about or, or go for, was I was going to go gonna go get an MBA. Hmm. I had you know, decent, uh, not terrible grades in undergrad and thought I, you know, I could do pretty well. And uh, so went down that path and took the took the GMAT, got a pretty decent score. I was traveling around the country at the time on a different plane every week. So I had plenty of time to uh, to study. Study, yeah. I took that test, uh, the GMAT, and did pretty well. But then, you know, I was still listening to podcasts again on planes all the time. And a few of the podcasts that I listened to were real estate related. And somebody mentioned or recommended this book, which I have a, a copy behind me right here. Uh, yep. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I thought, okay, you know, I'll check it out. Read that. And, you know, he really highlighted so many of the misgivings that I had about all that big expense to go, you know, get an MBA. It's going to cost me $300,000, most likely, in tuition and opportunity costs, maybe even more. Then I'm going to get out. I'm going to have this big debt load and I'm going to get a job that I don't want to do. I mean, I knew I wouldn't, didn't want to be a consultant. I knew I didn't want to be a banker, anything like that. Yeah. So, uh, but he, he highlighted the power of passive cash flow through real estate investing. And I'd already been listening to real estate related stuff. And I thought, okay, not going to do the MBA. I want to, you know, I found myself at that fork in the road, made the decision, not going to do the MBA, I'm going to go for this real estate thing. 
and uh, you know that, that kind of started my journey uh, as a real estate investor. It took a few years to to get things going, to learn the lay of the land, and to figure out really what I wanted to do in the space. Yeah, um, but you know, probably similar similar investing journey, at least getting started from uh, to a lot of people, right? Well, Who had some I always say if if Robert Kiyosaki could just get a nickel for everybody that he brought into real estate and had success. I mean, the guy is already a bazillionaire, but like, I can't even, I I know, you know, you hear it too all the time. I'm sure everybody seems like that book started something in them, right? Launched something. There's very few people I talk to who say, yeah, I've never read that book, right? Most people (laughs) go, oh yeah, it was like, that was the first real estate book I ever read and it totally turned me on. Um, so what was the first thing that you did? I, I read the book, obviously, too. What was the fir- I know what you're into now, right? It's commercial. It's, it's you know, industrial. What, do you, what did you do first? Like, where, where, where did you start? So the first thing that I did to get into the real estate space was I'd been listening to these podcasts, and they all talk about going out and networking, you know, and, yep. and you only, this is another thing you're going to hear pretty often in the real estate space is, I'm actually a pretty introverted guy. It's, this is not <laughs> something you know that I naturally do, right? I yeah, I, I'm an engineer, right? This is uh, <laughs> we're, we're introverts. Uh, so networking was like that was a big uh, struggle for me. But I went out to to local RIAs and I started meeting people in the area, learning about the strategies that they were doing because yep. you know success leaves clues, right? Yep. And I met a lot of wholesalers immediately when I learned about wholesaling. I was like, I don't want to do that. That's no way. Uh, met a lot of flippers. We all kind of know about flipping, but again, that was something that just—it's not passive. It's very active. And after meeting a lot of flippers at these rias, they weren't kind of living the lifestyle that I wanted to live. So, yeah. uh, you know, I decided I'm not going to go that route. Also, met a lot of folks who had accumulated, you know, twenty to fifty single-family rentals over their their course of the, their life and investing. And you know, that's great, but that still felt like. The stock investing strategy that's not going to really impact my mm. life until my 60s you know yeah. a lot of these folks were were a bit older yep so i kept digging and digging and digging and ultimately the thing that really gave me the spark was i started learning about investing in large multifamily properties and and this is all leading to i just dove into large multifamily wow. this is what i, okay. what I okay. wanted to do i love that i love that because honestly i talk to people all the time you probably do this too and they'll say let's just say for example they'll say i really want to flip houses but I'm going to wholesale first and get money. It's like, mm-hmm. why don't you just do the thing you want to do? Like, why are you taking this convoluted route? Like, I love that. I love that message. And I know specifically when it comes to multifamily and larger deals, 99% of the people think they can't start there. So I love that you started there. I can't wait to hear how you actually got started there because I'm an introvert too. You're right. We do hear this a lot. And so mm-hmm. multifamily is, there's there's a component there of raising money and that's a whole thing where you're talking, it's a relationship. So I'm very interested to see how you did that. So I interrupted you. Please continue. <laughs> no, it's 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 fine. So yeah, I mean, started learning about large multifamily. It's just something that did that. You know, it gave me like the spark. It's big. It's exciting. The numbers are big, and there are a lot of ways to get involved in the space. But okay, I have this goal. I want to be involved with these big deals, but I don't know how to do that. I don't have that kind of money, right? Yep. To to get in. So I started learning about syndication and how people get into, you know, buy these big deals when they, they don't have all the money. Now syndication is definitely not a no money down type of game. It's, it's really actually, you got to have quite a bit of money to get into syndication on the more active side. So really what I did is I, I set out on 
my journey to get involved. And I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, but I hired hired a coach and uh, it's somebody that probably a lot of folks have have heard of. But I started with Joe Fairless mm-hmm. many years ago before Ashcroft Capital had a billion dollars. I think it was, they were after maybe their first deal. They had only done one or two, I think, at that point. So I was pretty early uh, with Joe and just started learning the business, started learning how it how it works, how it goes, started networking, building my own brand, yep. going to a lot of conferences, uh, started my own podcast, ultimately started a monthly meetup uh, here where I live in, in Richmond, Virginia. Now that was pre-COVID. Now post-COVID, we're, I'm working with some folks to to bring that back in, in a much, much bigger way Nice uh, right now. So that that should be coming back. And this is, this is years summed up into a couple of sentences, yeah. <laughs> maybe a yeah, couple yeah. paragraph conversation. But I think that's one of the things is, you know, folks, sometimes folks will ask you in a podcast, hey, what's your what's your strong suit? What do you think is your some people say superpower? I think that's maybe blowing it up a little bit. But <laughs> what's well, your much. what's your strength? Right. And, yeah. and to me, I think my strength is that I'm really stubborn. I decided this is what I wanted to do. And dang it is what I worked on. And I worked on it for years. Yeah until it started, you know, bearing fruit. And I, I think a lot of people, you know, this is, this may be a reasonable thing, right? Maybe I was just being a little ridiculous. A lot of people want a, a quicker payoff in whatever they're doing. If they're want to go wholesale, they want to go flip a property, whatever they might go make a couple of offers, spend a month or two working on it and ultimately not really get anywhere and just kind of give up. They say, Oh, that doesn't work. And mm-hmm. I, you know, that's not, that's not me. Uh, I have my sights set on it, but no matter what kind of real estate you're doing, I think as long as you keep digging and moving forward, you can, you can make a deal happen and, you know, kind of find your, find your route. Yeah. All right. So you, you got with Joe Fairless, you, you started learning, you got the coach, you're going to conferences. I get that. What did all of that prep and all of that learning lead you to do first? Like what was step one for you to get into the industry? So my first step was remember I had all this uh, all these investments you know built up in the stock market. No, I wanted yeah. to make a shift. Had to get involved somehow. So my first move was to passively invest in a deal, just to get my feet wet, learn how the business works, and yep. you know learn what it's like to be a passive investor in a deal. So I you know met all these sponsors, and uh, finally you know found a deal that I was interested in investing in, and. Uh, Invested in that. It this was you know a number of years ago now, and there were some good, there were some bad. There were a lot of lesson learned lessons learned about that uh, experience through that deal that you know I still apply today, and you know I share with with folks today. But I mean that was kind of my first foot in the water. Now it doesn't really do a lot for you when it comes to going out and doing your own deals necessarily. Yeah, but at least it got me started, and I yep. had things that I could talk about and lessons that I could. Uh, pull from you know yeah what I mean? did you were you able to get a real like passenger seat view of what was going on because you said you did it so you could kind of learn how it goes did did they sh- like did you get a lot of like uh, learning in that deal did you get to see the activity and what was going on and what they were doing right and wrong like did you get a lot of visibility into the deal yeah so uh there, we'll talk about a few things here so sponsors in my opinion should always share financials on the property so you see what's yep. going on they should share updates on renovations. Typically, these uh, properties will have a value-add component to them. So we'll say, hey, we're going to renovate you know, 40% of these units and raise the rents and all that kind of thing. And they should provide transparency on that process. And that yep. helped me start learning. Now, if the deal had gone really well, 
and a hundred percent well, there wouldn't have been all that much to learn, but <laughs> there were, uh, some, uh, some stumbling yeah. blocks, uh, along the way. And it, it didn't go as planned. Uh, and we can dig into that if you, uh, yeah, you I would love to know. hear what didn't go right. I mean, you're right. When everything goes well, it's sort of like, it's hard to glean a lot from that. But so what went wrong with this particular day? And by the way, I was going to ask you this, but I, I don't want to, I don't, I want to ask kind of ahead of time. So people know the, the folks that you invested with two questions, a, did you know them prior very well and B how experienced were they? So good question. I didn't know them all that well prior. I mean, I, it was a five or six B deal, so I did have a okay. pre-existing relationship with them. Yep. but I didn't know them that long. Uh, now, you know, shoot, six years later, I'm, I don't even I don't even remember the timeline on this, but uh, probably do it a little differently uh, now. But you know, you learn so much over yep. time. Yep. Did they have experience? Um, I think they had done maybe a handful of syndications prior and invested okay. in other deals. Okay. And then there, and this uh, this gets a little bit into the weeds and and what went wrong with the deal. One of the things I was pretty taken by or, or interested in about the deal was that the property manager was going to be a partner in the deal. He's going to be a general partner alongside the actual sponsor operator who's doing the asset management, raising all the capital and things along those lines. Okay. Well, that property manager having general partnership ownership is actually what it what made it go wrong in a way. Really? So yeah, after I can't remember how long we uh, the timeline is a little foggy. I think we maybe owned it for eight months to a year uh, and things were going okay, you know, doing renovations, so on and so forth. And then we suddenly get an email from the sponsor that, hey, things aren't going well with the property manager. We're pausing distributions. And it turned out that uh, the sponsor had discovered that the property manager was apparently stealing money from us. <laughs> okay. We, we, Spoiler alert, we didn't really get a great resolution on this matter over the course of the following couple of years. Okay. But what ended up happening was so if you, if the property managers stealing money from you, obviously you fire them and put them put somebody else in and then yeah. you, you know, go into legal action. Yeah. The headache became that the property manager was a general partner. Yeah. So he had extra claim, quote unquote, in his mind to I, you know, it's hard to read people's minds, right? Especially who are apparently stealing money from you, <laughs> right? But that became the legal battle, right? Because his shares were clawed back, and arbitration, all these other things that that went on. Ultimately, so I think the big lesson out of that is when you're investing in a syndication, you should either have a true third party property manager who can be terminated at any time for misbehaving, yep, or like a wholly owned subsidiary. Some operators own their own property management and that's okay. You know, it's fine. They actually own the operations and, yeah. and the in, inner, inner workings of the property management. In this case, the, the issue was that we had kind of a quasi first party, third party type of relationship with them. And yeah. this is not just one situation where I've seen this go wrong. You spend enough time networking and having conversations through hosting a podcast and going to meet people at conferences and everything yep. and talking about deals that went wrong. That kind of happens all the time, unfortunately, when yeah. when property, I don't know what it is. It seems like, you know, people go at this thing saying it, it'll be a performance incentive because, hey, the property manager yeah. now gets to have some share in the yeah. in his own success. Unfortunately, it just seems like, and this is not all the time, but it seems like too often that kind of makes them feel like they can either slack off, which is a little more common, or 
in the case of this deal that I invested in, they can you know, take a little bigger piece of the pie than they actually uh, yeah, yeah. are legally entitled to. So, of course, the following couple of years, the uh, sponsor gets into litigation or arbitration, ultimately, with the, the property manager, the main guy. And he actually ended up uh, passing away right toward the end after we had sold the properties. Really? Yeah. And it, it got into a whole thing with his estate. Um, ultimately, you know, I think the sponsor actually did the right thing and, and handled the situation well when it was uncovered. You know, they, they made the best out of that situation, yeah. right? He didn't, the sponsor didn't do the malfeasance, right? It was the, the property manager. He did, he did what he needed to do to protect us as investors. Yeah. And we still did make money on the deal, not as much as we expected. And I yeah. think in a way, we kind of got lucky with the market, right? We've been in this bull run for the last, you know, over a decade in, in real estate. Yeah. And we kind of got saved uh, by that fact. So, yeah. you know, the big lesson I took out of that one, right? Remember, if this had all gone well, there wouldn't have been that many lessons <laughs> out of it. Yeah. Uh, the lesson I took out of that one was property managers shouldn't have ownership in the property. You should be able to terminate them or terminate individuals for in the case of a you know wholly owned uh, subsidiary. Yeah. So, yeah, big lesson out of that one. <laughs> okay, so you you invested in that. I. I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, that while you were a passive investor in that deal, you started doing your own deals at some point during those yeah. years. So uh, what I'm always kind of curious about, and and I, I get this question, I hear it all the time. So it's bad enough for people to get the courage to flip a single family home in suburbia. How do you, A, find these deals? that are like multifamily bigger deals and but maybe be more importantly or more daunting how do you raise money when you haven't done a deal before on your own like it's like the chicken and the egg thing right how do you get money without the experience but you can't get experience until you know you you form these syndications and people come in on it and have some level of trust so how do you navigate that as a new person in the industry yeah i mean it's a great question that's a it's a tough thing to do i think the first thing really is you have to work on getting rid of that self-limiting belief that yeah. you know I can't I can't do this right yep. now we need to and we should acknowledge that you know our potential investors perspective on hey I'm a new guy how am I going to mitigate that risk or how am I going to you know deal with that and and handle that objection which is a very reasonable objection for somebody to have right it's a it's a good thing for somebody to raise yep. it's a wise Thing for a passive investor to bring up. Yeah. And really the biggest way to do that is by aligning yourself with people who have experience, yeah. getting them on your team in one way or another, or getting on their team if you can. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Um, one of the things that you learn as a real estate investor, uh, no matter what type of deal that you're doing, is that it's so it's such a relationship and networking driven business. Yeah. Whether you're doing flips or burrs or multi larger multifamily deals or, you know, I don't care what you're doing. There's so much of a, a who you know aspect to it. People are more willing to, you know, partner with people who they know, who they who can deliver and have, you know, mutual, you know, shared interest. Yeah. So the the short version is find people who have that experience who you can work with on any given deal and you can say Mr. Investor I acknowledge right I'm I'm new to this business right I've passively invested in a couple of deals or you know th this is where uh your past experience can come in handy if you have past experience 
I'm the new guy, right? That's that's fine. You're correct. But look at you know Mr. Smith over here, who's on our team, who's done several thousand worth of units. Yeah. He's the one, you know, we're we're leveraging his experience here, or you know, whatever the rest of the team is. So, I mean, that's the number one way to yeah. to mitigate that risk. Yeah, I, I do hear that when I've asked that question in the past is align yourself with someone who does have that experience. Um, so from a guy who decided to skip wholesaling and flipping and and rentals, single family stuff, and just you knew you wanted multifamily, you knew you wanted bigger deals, you went straight forward. So from that perspective or or with that in mind. Uh, I'm curious to know if you if you recommend people when they want to go into multifamily, does it make sense or did you start with smaller multifamily, maybe under 50 units? Or are you like, you know what? And I've heard both ways, so I'm really curious, but I've heard people say anything under 50 units is, is kind of a waste because it's the same amount of work for 100 or more, right? And so just do the bigger ones right off the bat. Don't even screw around with the small ones. And I've heard people say the exact opposite. No, start with a smaller <laughs> one, right? A smaller right. one and kind of get your feet wet and understand the process. Where do you stand on that? Just go straight for the big 250 units or 150 units or start in the 25 to 30 or 50 range? So I think it's it's such a, a personal decision, right? You have to kind of know yourself and, and your willingness and, and what you're going to do. I think, a, honestly, in, in hindsight, I think a wise thing to do is, yeah, go buy a couple of properties yourself if you have the money to do it, whether it's a few single families or what have you, just to kind of get used to that that type of thing. But you know, don't get stuck there. Don't get if you want to if you want to scale up. If you want to buy single families, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. You, there's money to be made there. Yep. Um, you know, there are folks, and I have I have friends who I've met through this networking process. Who are absolutely killing it in small to mid-sized multifamily, you know, 25-ish, you know, plus or minus 10 doors. Yep. And they're doing that generally by the the joint venture strategy. There are a lot, you know, rules of how you get the money around that. Everybody has to be an active participant and everything, but it can be done. Yep. And you don't have the same level of competition. So at the you know, single family level, you have mom and pop investors, you have owner occupants who you know, can pay a little bit more. And mm-hmm. then at the 100 plus or really 150 unit plus range, you have some big money getting involved. But when you're talking 25 to 50 doors, depending on your market, the price point's too low for the big guys and yeah. the price point's too high for the small guys. So you're really kind of getting a, a blue ocean strategy yeah. there. So, you know, I know people who are who are killing it there who are doing so well in that range. They're like, I don't want to move up to syndications because why would I give myself more competition? Yeah. I'm making plenty of money in this small multifamily or mid-sized multifamily space. So, you know, there's I don't think there's really one best answer, right? It's it really comes down to the individual and, and how you want to attack yeah. this strategy. If I was going back to how old was I? 25 or 26-year-old Taylor, I'd probably say get a house hack, buy yeah. a house hack. And I had really thought about that. Um, I don't want to manage tenants and I still don't want to manage tenants. I didn't yeah. want to manage tenants at the time. Um, but getting a house hack, especially if you buy a, a duplex and if you can do it with a short-term rental. Now, this is a little while ago, so short-term rentals weren't quite as big then, yeah. but you can build a lot of passive cash flow or semi-active cash flow through a short-term rental house hack. I think that's a smart thing to do. Uh, 
it's not my thing, but it's something worth yep. considering if you're just getting started. Yep. All right. So let's paint. I'm going to ask the question one more time, and I want to ask it a different way because I <laughs> sure. get what you're saying. It is personal. I totally get that. It's like people saying to me, what's the best way to, to get into real estate investing? It's like, well, I don't know. Tell me more about yourself, right? But let's just say you have a person who says, my goal is to get into large multifamily. I want to be 150 and above. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. And they say to you, should I start with 25 units, 50 units, or is there a path to going straight to the big ones? That that makes sense. So I just had this conversation recently um, with someone who's in his early 20s, has, uh, due to you know family situation, everything, has his own portfolio of single families now, 15 to 20 doors. My advice to him, go find a syndicator, somebody who's doing those big deals already. And I know you don't want to have a job, but go work for that guy for you know a little while if you can. Can you get that job? Are you yeah. interested? Can you hold that down? You're going to learn so much by working for somebody who's got a couple billion in under, assets under management. It's probably going to be pretty tough work. Maybe you're not going to love it, but hey, you can say, "I worked for X person. You know, I worked on these big deals." You can take that, and you're also going to build an enormous network while you're there. You know, obviously, yeah. you want to, you know be open and honest about that is, Hey, I really want to scale in this business and, you know, be ethical with the connections that you're making and, you know, all that type of a thing. Um, but I, if you're a young person and not as stuck in your career, I think that can be a great move uh, to just go work for somebody for a few years to build that experience. Totally. Um, if you're somebody who's a little more established, maybe in their early forties, you know, I talk with people like this too, and you know, you want to get active in the business. You have to know that because it's going to be so yeah. much work no matter what. <laughs> For sure, You've got, you know, you're, maybe you're a higher earning professional. You've got some money built up because remember mm. what I said before, syndication, large multifamily, it's not a no money down game. There yeah. is pay to play involved. Sorry. It yeah. just is. Yeah. Um, I can't change that. We'll, we'll take that for what it is. So maybe you're yeah. somebody in their early forties who's, you know, got a little over a million bucks saved up through your investments. You've got investing experience. You're not starting from nothing. You want to get involved. I think you can jump right into active multifamily syndication, but again, it's going to be work. So I think the biggest things to do there are find a couple of thought leaders in the space who do this, the, the training on syndication. Yeah. Don't just buy their coaching program, right? Maybe do that later, but put that off to the side on the side burner. Yep. A lot of these guys host conferences. Go to their conferences, meet yeah. people, network, get build your own network, get your own uh, CRM. There are several even free CRMs out there like HubSpot. Yep. Get everybody's names, set up calls with them. It's amazing. The people who you can get on a, a 15 or 20 minute phone call just to connect with them and say, hey, what do you need? Yeah. Do that a hundred times man, you're going to make so much progress. So, Dude, I love that. First of all, let me just stop you because it's sure. so, so important. My goodness, it's so important. I tell people all the time, ask people what they need. Don't get them on the call and tell them what you need immediately. It's such a turnoff and nobody want, everybody's pulling and, and trying to get something from somebody. Ask them what they need. It's a, it's a great way to get them to care to talk to you, right? Even if they don't need anything, man, is it refreshing to ask what you need, you know, what what's needed from you instead of telling them what you want from them. So yeah, that's great. That's a great point. And I think it's even uh, to, to level that up a bit, because I honestly, I say that I think it's a good thing to do, but you need to, if you're asking that question, you need to have suggestions in your back yeah. pocket, because if you're asking me what I need, now you've given me a job to, to give, you, <laughs> so give you a job. It's so so there are a few ways that you can I think add value to a lot of these folks is, and I, I know people who have done this. I know somebody who 
not going to mention any names here, but I know somebody who for free for no money wrote ghost wrote blogs for a prominent person in this space. And in exchange, he got some mentoring. Hmm. It was a, you know, a limited amount, but it was consistent. Those blogs are out there and they're generating results for, you know, that, that big person, which is awesome. He had to put in the work, but in return, he got a crazy, they both got a crazy amount of value. Yeah. So that's something that you can do. Just be creative. If you're, again, just to go back to the younger thing, a lot of these syndication teams are, have almost no social media presence. If you're good at, you know, TikTok's the big one right now. I'm not on TikTok, but if you could take some of their content and repurpose it, give some suggestions or give some free content and say, you know, hey, I'm, here's this content I made, or I could make this content for you for free. All I'll ask in return is, you know, a half an hour or hour long call a month or something like that. Just a yeah. suggestion, but be creative and bring an idea to the table. And yeah, not everybody's going to take it. Right. And you yeah. want to be careful about who you offer that service to. Yeah. Um, but you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what kind of a creative deal you can work out totally. with somebody big. Yeah. I love it. So it's, you're so right uh, at, about asking people what they need. If you just say, Hey, what do you need from me? You're so right. Now you've given them a task to figure that out. Right. So it's a good thing to do. Yeah. But you, it's good if you have ideas as well. Totally. Yeah. I love that. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, finding deals. Is it is it completely a broker driven game? The multifamily space. Do you must you make relationships with brokers, or are there ways to find deals like in the single family space where you're sending out mail or you're you know Google AdWords or like is there a way that you can do it without brokers, or is it basically if you're not if you're not making relationships with brokers, you're going to struggle? Technically, yes, it can be done off market, but in reality, yeah, these deals all go through brokers. I mean, I. In the time that I've been in the space, I know probably a handful of deals that didn't use a broker at all, even to negotiate or handle the transaction. Yeah, uh, and a lot of those deals came about by building relationships at conferences and saying, "Hey, so and so is selling a deal in you know this city. Hey, what, can we take a look at that? Can we make an offer?" Yeah, and uh, you know you'll see that happen sometimes. But that comes through building relationships. It's not so much a send out a million mailers and you'll get responses. Yeah. A lot of those are going to get thrown in a trash. It's going to be hard to find the right person. So you can do it through building relationships. I think for people who are interested in that type of a strategy of building off-market deal flow in the kind of more commercial real estate space, I still see an enormous amount of opportunity in self-storage in that mm. regard. There's so, still a lot of a property that's owned by mom and pops who you know will open their mail and you know give you a call if you write yeah. write them the right mailer doesn't yeah. mean you're going to do a deal with them yeah. but um i think a more opportunity for the kind of enterprising wholesaler and you know if you can get those opportunities there are also teams out there who are looking to buy deals off market through wholesalers in the self storage space in particular okay um, so I think there's just more opportunity in self storage if you're going to go try to build off market deal flow either for yourself or through wholesaling. Yeah. Um, multifamily, if you're going to attack that, now this is this is not something that I do, right? So I can't speak on it that like that intelligently. But I would think you're going to get more bites in the smaller in the 25, yeah. 50 unit range or so where they're still mom and pop owned that kind of yeah. a thing. But if you're dealing with um, institutions or REITs or something like that. I mean, they're 
you're not going to get the mail to the right person anyway. Yeah. Uh, and it, they're not going to call you about it. So yeah, pretty much brokers in the bigger space. Okay. That makes sense. Um, all right. You mentioned a couple times now self-storage. I know you're in the multifamily space. You're in self-storage space. I'm going to ask you a question. Maybe no one's asked you. Maybe you get this all the time. Who knows? But Uh-oh. you're in, you like multifamily. You went into multifamily. Why are you, why, why even bother with self-storage? And if self-storage is a, something you should be involved in, why not just do that exclusively? Why, why self-storage? What, is it, what does it add that, that you love about it? And why not just focus on one or the other? So for my current business model, it works, it works well to have multiple asset classes that we work on. But you know, backing up a bit, the reason I got started investing in self-storage is I had heard so much about how it's a it's a great asset class. And I went about it the same way I went about getting started in multifamily. I'd been networking in these spaces for years. And you meet a lot of people and get on people's deal lists and mm-hmm. build relationships with them and everything. And I just had an opportunity to invest in a deal. Uh, and I said, hey, I'm interested in this deal. I actually missed that first one. But then I knew that, okay, this particular operator, I'm pretty much going to invest in a deal. I have the money ready. When they have another deal, yeah, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to evaluate it, but I'm not going to sit on my haunches and, and not yeah. do it. Um, so yeah, I went for it. I got my toes in the space, uh, and you know, I just think it's a it's a great asset class that can produce fantastic returns if you're doing it right and buying the right properties. And people, I think, generally use the term recession proof far too often. Nothing okay. is recession proof at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we'd like to aim, of course, for recession resistance, right? We yeah. want assets that have positive characteristics that you know give them a competitive edge in in recessions. And self storage is an asset class of transition. People tend to use self storage when they're when they're moving, whether it's they're upgrading to new houses or they're moving to a new area for a new job or they're downgrading. You know, we don't have the house anymore. We're moving into a rental, but we still have all this stuff that we can't bring ourselves to throw out for some reason. Yeah. They'll pay a hundred bucks a month for a uh, for a basically a garage on somebody else's property to sit yeah. it in, and uh, I just wanted to get involved, so you know, found a way. I love it. We could literally talk about this forever because you know <laughs> way more about it than I do, and I'm genuinely curious, and I love I love just digging into this stuff. Uh, but I want to respect your time, uh, guys. Go and check out the Passive Wealth Strategy podcast uh, that Taylor does. It's fantastic. He's clearly I don't have to tell you he's clearly knows what he's talking about. Very smart guy. Also, the NT Capital Group. If you want to find out what he's got going on in terms of investments, anything else, any other way they should find you or get a hold of you if they're interested. So I made a free video course for people who want to passively invest in real estate with anybody. It's a free seven-day video course on seven red flags in passive real estate investing. You can get that at PassiveRealEstateCourse.com. Just seven things that I've seen go wrong in deals in general tend to make things you know go the wrong direction. And uh, you know that's out there. It's it's free. I love it. And there's I say this all the time, guys. There's no reason not to get it. It's free. Go get it. And uh, and. You can't beat free, right? So go grab that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get it because I'm not a multifamily. Uh, I'm, I'm not uh, in that space and I want to be. And uh, I just love finding smart people who can shortcut my learning. And, and you definitely are that. So thanks for your time. And I really appreciate, being, appreciate you being here. I appreciate you being so transparent and uh, just dropping gold bombs left and right for the folks. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great uh, connecting with you. Awesome. I'll see you next time. 
I really enjoy uh, Taylor. I was on his show and we had such a great conversation when I was on his show and I loved having him on mine. I was excited to talk to him. Really smart guy in the multifamily space. I really highly suggest that you go check out his free video course. Get that, watch it. It's free, right? How bad could it be for your life to get something that has tremendous value and is free? Go grab it and check that out. If you're interested in multifamily, I suggest you go and get into his world. All right, guys, go make it happen. Sitting on the couch isn't going to get it done. Wishing it could happen is not going to make it so. You have to go out there and take action. Go do that. Go follow Taylor if that's the direction you want to go on multifamily. But do something. Take action today. Make today the best day. We'll talk to you next time.